Hello, hockey fans. Welcome to the revised, revived, and revitalized Founding Four podcast. I am your host. Ooh, I am your co-host, Erica L. Ayala, and I am joined by Angelica Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> We are doing it. We are out here. We are back. Let's go. We're ready. We are back. We are here. As I mentioned, we have a new co-host, Angelica Rodriguez. You're going to introduce yourself in a minute. But we are two Latinas with spicy hockey takes. And the Founding Four podcast is now under Black Rosie Media, which is a media company empowering black women and melanated creators in sports media. So Angelica, tell us where you're from, how you do, all them things. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people already are a little familiar with me. If you have read The Ice Garden or seen us on Twitter, I am the Beats Beat writer. Uh, I'm also a columnist for mainly covering the PHF, but other uh, topics surrounding hockey and hockey culture. Um, been doing this for a long time. I've uh, been doing I've been uh writing about women's hockey in general since 2012 and uh, writing about the PHF uh, since its inception in 2015 at the NHL. Um, I am based in Buffalo, so you'll get a lot of beats related content, a lot of beats related insider stuffs with me. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited to be here. I know you guys have probably heard me on the podcast a couple times before, and uh, we decided we liked it so much, we're going to make it a, a lasting thing. So I'm super excited, and thank you so much again for having me. That's right. Cha-ching, baby. We have a co-host, and Angelica. We have lots to talk about, so let's get into our first segment. Okay, so we have hockey headlines for you. There's been a lot to talk about recently. Um, so I guess we'll kind of start off with a bang uh, with Hockey Canada freezing or having its funding froze by not only the federal government, but multiple companies uh, are withdrawing sponsorships, redirecting money, um, it's it's just not a good time for Hockey Canada in the wake of the um, sexual assault lawsuits uh, that they have since settled. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know what they expected, um, but that's where we stand right now. As of today, um, Scotiabank and Tim Hortons have already um, withdrawn support, uh, Canadian Tire, TELUS, Imperial Oil, all are also withdrawing support and redirecting funds to uh, organizations supporting um, sexual assault survivors, according to the CBC article that dropped today. So um, lots, to, lots to really discuss there. Um, I, I don't even know where to begin, to be honest with you. Um yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm like somewhere between woof, just like woof, and I mean, oh well, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it. You know, it. it <laughs> I think that it definitely was a long time coming. I don't know why it took this long for anything to be done. Um, I am kind of glad things are being done. Because I think it sets a precedent, you know. Um, 
I think it definitely sets a precedent to uh, other organizations to start taking this stuff seriously and start really, really looking into um, the 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 wrong that it's athletes, it's higher ups, all of you know everybody involved condones. Um, so I'm interested to see what precedent it actually will set for the future. Um, I really do think that it's already kind of following a little bit of. I, I shouldn't even say that because the Blackhawks haven't really done shit since the you know uh, report. That part, listen, that's exactly where I was gonna go. That's exactly where I was gonna go with it because in I'm looking at the Sportsnet article and in the Sportsnet article they talk about Telus and Canadian Tire. Uh, Telus in their statement says they will continue to support upcoming women's events and grassroots initiatives, um, but that they are looking for. Um, basically more transparency and Canadian Tire says the lack of transparency and accountability around the assault allegations is part of the reason that they are pulling their support which in stark contrast to what we saw from said Chicago Blackhawks who uh their owner Rocky Wirtz actually she went on a tirade after a reporter asked a very logical a uh, very fair game question as far as what are the steps that have been taken and what are the accountability measures in place? And it's like, oh, we're moving on from this. Okay, moving on. Like, moving on, it, it should include, like, metrics as to how you will never touch that ever again. What are you actually doing? And see, this is like the, <laughs> this is what makes us so upset because you can't, <laughs> you can't be out here trying to say that you're making changes. And then when people are like, okay, cool. What are the changes? Start yelling and gaslighting us. Like that's an inappropriate question to ask. Yeah. It's definitely wasn't it. I believe it was Mark Lazarus who answered that question and he was completely eviscerated by words at Al. Um, to the point where I believe like he made some of the other people on stage at that panel visibly uncomfortable. Um and I mean this is this is the pushback we kind of expect, right? Um, you know, it, it's it's the pushback we've sadly come to expect. So to see the contrast of multiple sponsors pulling out and saying, you know what, no, we're not doing this anymore, um, I think says a lot. Um, you know, obviously there's still steps that need to be taken. Um, more transparency needs to be um, uh, pretty much an imperative at this point, um, which they are pushing for. Um, the uh, Canadian government is really pushing for um, transparency, um, for Hockey Canada to release the findings of the individual report that's come, or independent report that's coming out um, regarding the sexual assault investigation, um, and uh, also publishing the recommendations it's received by uh, from it received from the sexual abuse allegations. Uh, which is, uh, forgive me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Hennon Hutchinson LLP. Um, they are the ones who are kind of investigating this entire thing, and uh, they're mandated to make these uh, findings public if they want to continue getting funded. And I think that's exactly what needs to happen. You 
only really care about the money, then yes. when you rise up, you know, what the hell are you going to do? Um, yeah, and I think there's so much again, that needs to kind of happen here. Um, I love that companies are calling for transparency. That being said, this is not something that popped up even in this calendar year. There have been two Winter Olympic hockey tournaments since the allegations have surfaced. And if you look at the timeline, um, you know, we're going back to January of 2018. So Chang. Beijing all happened. And so there's a part of me that's like, yes. And what? Like, you know, what is it about four years later that made this the right time? Um, and unfortunately, people don't want to hold space to um, have both conversations ever. And we know that uh, obviously trigger warning, we know that this is tough to talk about sexual assault and the implications of, uh, that are in, of the people that are involved from as far as those who were, the, the harm was committed against. So we want to be thoughtful of that. Um, but, but there are a lot of questions here and I wish that we would see a swift, we would see swift action when it comes to sexual assault, but it seems like in the spirit of perhaps what people want to call due diligence or due process, that it's the victims or again, those um, to whom the harm was perpetuated that often are the ones having to be uncomfortable. Uh, they are often not believed or have to recount over and over and over and wait for justice, which ultimately, uh, while waiting again for due process, uh, you know, due diligence to happen, the people who have perpetuated harm or have been involved in, um, directly in that harm or indirectly in that harm are still holding these positions. The thing that I, I think is hopefully encouraging is that there is accountability four years later, not my favorite thing, but I'm hoping that we see more swift action and that we start to believe people who come forward. And I know that you made comments about also what, what we see here in the United States as far as gymnastics, or if you look at the U.S. women's soccer team, we have CONCACAF qualifiers happening right now, and a lot of people questioning if the roster that we see is uh, missing some people because they were the loudest voices and the ones who were going on record as to what was happening with the Chicago Red Stars organization. And those are the people that you can, you know, retaliate against, as some people believe, because they're the ones who dared and uh, to have their name associated to things that they were experiencing firsthand. Right, right. And, you know, I think that, <laughs> I, I hate to say it, you know, four years is an improvement over the 10 plus years that it took uh, the Blackhawks um, allegations to come out. Um, it's still not OK. Um, and yeah. mind you, the first time I ever heard about the pretty much epidemic of um, sexual abuse and sexual assault in hockey was reading Laura Robinson's book, Crossing the Line, uh, which was published in 1998. Okay, I was seven years old when that book was published, and I'm 31 now, and we are still having these conversations. We are still 
having long foot dragging, kicking and screaming fights for what has happened to women, men, people in this sport to come to the light. And that's, that's not okay. You know, there hasn't been a single goddamn improvement uh, in the 20 odd years. So it's going to be 24 years now. And that is just inexcusable. And I don't know what it's going to take. Um, you know, I, I really don't. Hey! <laughs> All good, all good. All right, so we will um, just transition. I was like, damn, we really came in hot on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so hot. My uh, Riverside was like, nah, bitch, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. All right, well, Angelica, we we came in pretty hot. We came in pretty hot for our first ever co-hosted episode of Founding 4 Podcast. So let's... Uh, Skate on to our next uh, hockey headline. Okay. Um, well, um, this is a little bit more in the realm of PHF slash women's hockey. A big, flashy couple of signings on the goaltending front. Uh, we have Cassidy Salve being signed by the Buffalo Buttes and Buffalo Buttes fan favorite Carly Jackson signing with the Toronto Six. Both are one-year deals. Um, this was hinted at by Jeff Merrick um, a while back. Uh, full disclosure, I actually knew about some of the goings-on of this prior um, to protect, you know, the parties involved and, you know, their contracts and stuff. I kept quiet. Jeff Merrick did not. And then it finally actually was officially announced. So, um, I mean, Sabe is a great sign. I'm going to say that right now. Sabe is a very good signing by Buffalo. I think if they were to get anybody to replace DJ, it, you know, can't do much better than her. Um, that said, uh, I am a little, I'm a little miffed at how this whole contract went down and a little miffed about the process behind it. And I'll tell you why. Um, from what I understood, there were certain negotiations that took place with Carly Jackson and the Buttes that were kind of not what was expected. Um, I think we heard similar to what was discussed um, between Amanda Levier and the Minnesota Whitecaps. Dan Rice did, you know, tweet about that, um, yep. you know, without going too deep into it again to <laughs> kind of, you know, not not be too, too overly critical. Because I think that a lot of people forget that this is a kind of an unprecedented time in free agency for the PHF, uh, a doubled salary cap much more freedom to move around, much more freedom to negotiate, or so we would like to believe. More on that later. Um, but also I think that a lot of teams, not so much a lot of teams, but definitely the Buttes, from what I can tell, um, I mean, they've had a gigantic outreach. They've had tons of players ask, you know, reaching out to them. They've been negotiating with a lot of players, and it's great to see um, it's great to see that much interest in 
um, especially in a team that, you know, finished sixth in the league, uh, you know, dead last and, you know, had a bow out that early. It shows that there's definitely, um, you know, a good culture there. Um, that being said, I don't know how I feel about, <laughs> you know, it, it just smacks to me of issuing players who've committed to this league prior, who have been homegrown, who have come up through the draft as, you know, per a couple of seasons ago, just to lure back players that you may have lost with the PWHPA, um, which it, it's part and parcel of it. But at the same time, it's something that has bothered me a lot and, um, you know, nothing against the PETA, but, you know, whenever you sign out of that association as well, you run the risk of a learning curve, right? Because, you know, you have, you go from a player, you know, the PWHPA, which has tournaments, they have showcases. Um, a lot of times they, you know, obviously play each other much like the PHF does, but also, you know, it's very inconsistent scheduling. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's easier for a skater to kind of come into that and kind of, um, you know, succeed. I mean, look at Cassidy Binkle last year. I think that she's a really great example of that. You know, she took very well yeah. to it. Um, but I think it's a little bit more difficult for a goaltender to do that. So I think that as good as Sauve is, I think that we're going to run into a learning curve there. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but... And I mean, she's a professional. I mean, yes, we know that. But that's my biggest concern going into it. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, it's it is what it is. I'm I'm not <laughs> obviously I'm biased, but at the same time, you know, I think that uh, I, I think that there are a little bit of concerns there, especially when you're signing with the league. Yeah, I think you hit on a lot there. One thing I really hadn't considered is maybe the learning curve. We do know that it's a different model between the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, the PWHPA, and the Premier Hockey Federation, the PHF, formerly known as the National Women's Hockey League, or the NWHL. And that's where we get our name from. For those who are joining us for the first time, started with four teams, hence the founding four. Um, and no, I don't think that the PHF is at the original six now. Like, how are you the original six if two of you aren't original? Like, what are we talking about? Why are we so trying to be like the, the bro dudes? Like, I digress. Anyway, back to <laughs> Sauve and all of it. Listen, we said we were two Latinas with the spicy hockey takes. And that's one of mine. But, um... I think you make an interesting point about the transition because the structure is so different. I think people would argue that and have made the argument that the caliber of player is different and is very much by design. I am saying different because elite is in the eye of the beholder, which is usually a white Beholder, um, hence Michaela Grant Mentis never making the national team. Travesty. Travesty. Yes, I clapped. Travesty. Just saying. I, I mean, I know you're just saying. That's what we both just saying because that's what we do here. We got the spicy hot takes. Like, let's 
freaking go. We're not playing games in these streets. So that's what I want to say. Like it is, it is a different um, caliber of uh, exposure or um, the way that the players of the PWHPA are packaged is more digestible, again, to the white male gaze, G-A-Z-E, just to be clear. Um, so, <laughs> um, Maybe to the G-A-Y, you know, too. We don't know. I mean, we don't maybe. know. Maybe. I mean, but that, but, right. I'm not excluding. I'm just specifying for the sake of audio. <laughs> Outside of all of that drama... Who is not getting excited about there being competition, there being increased salaries, there being two-year deals, and up until really interesting engagement on Twitter, even players disclosing their salaries. This is all good stuff. The only way, and, and yes, you know, it's hard when you get used to players in a certain market and they're good in a certain market. But as someone who does a podcast that follows the Seattle Kraken, where my tagline was, we're, you know, Mr. Steal Yo Man, this is what happens. (laughs) This is what happens in sports. And it's okay to be mad about it. That doesn't make it wrong. Yeah. To To be fair... You know, I've never liked change when it comes to my team. <laughs> so I'll be completely, like, you know, Fair. open and vulnerable in that regard, is that I've never liked change. <laughs> Carly Jackson was the Butte's most valuable player of the season. Even if she hadn't gotten that designation as voted by her teammates, um, she was still clearly the most valuable player on that team. Um, you know, obviously, I just had a piece about her drop on the ice garden uh, this uh, earlier um, today, and you know that was something she didn't hesitate to do with me. Um, so you know, when you trade that away, not necessarily in the traditional bit sports business sense of trading, but when you trade that away for somebody who is by and large a question mark in a lot of respects. Um, I mean, it does give somebody pause. And again, this is not a read on Cassidy Sabe. This is not um, to, you know, insult <laughs> her or to insult Louisa Bernson, for that matter, who um, is also an incredible role in her own right. And, you know, when you take all of that into consideration that I'm not trying to insult or, you know, uh, hurt anybody's feelings there, but... You know, I think that there's just something a little bit different, a little bit special about, you know, CJ. And I think that the Buttes really could have capitalized on that if they had, you know, focused on her to start the season. And, you know, held on to that instead of kind of going off on this, you know, other direction that isn't so clear cut. I, I Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's all valid and these are things that are only going to continue to happen as the league grows as the salary cap goes up and hopefully there is a league minimum that is at least made public but we shall see um we shall uh, i want see. expansion teams too but you know we haven't heard anything about that so yeah on either side of the women's hockey north american spectrum if you will but um okay and you mentioned your feature on carly jackson 
if you're watching or listening, check out the show notes because, of course, we're going to put that in there. Um, really, you go through it all, how Carly uh, you know, ended up in net to what she hopes will uh, transpire with her new team, the Toronto Six. All right, we are continuing with hockey headlines. And yes, this is a women's hockey podcast, but occasionally we talk about the boys. Continue with the MNHL because we have a Stanley Cup champion and Nazem Kadri and the Colorado Avalanche have won the 2022 Stanley Cup. Take it away, Angelica! For anybody who thought Nazem Kadri was a liability in the playoffs, you can kiss that. And you can kiss mine too. So, um... That was the highlight of my night, Sunday night. Uh, listening to that, I cannot tell you how loudly I screamed at my computer when I heard that. Um, that was amazing. <laughs> you know? uh, the Avalanche, definitely a, a well, well, well-deserved Stanley Cup. Um, I think that they were absolutely, you know, their, ha- their mantra for this season was find a way. And I think they definitely found a way to do that. You know, their speed, their tenacity. What are you looking at over there? <laughs> I know, it's weird. So there's like, I, I know you see me looking because I have a laptop here and it literally sounds like it's knocking. It's the creepiest shit, like for real. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. Nazem Kadri. I'm over it. Yeah, why are we still talking about Nazem Kadri and all of a sudden your laptop starts knocking? Like, is that the ghost of Jordan Binghamton? Well, what happened? Like, come on. No! Speaking of Nazem, I closed that by the by, Um, but I wanted to go to Shireen Ahmed and talking about, in her opinion column for CBC, talking about the importance of a Nazem Kadri in 2022 and beyond, um, the, the unbelievable things that he and his family and his greater community have had to go through. Um, by way of loving hockey. And I think it's amazing that, that Kadri is going to be the first Muslim man to have his, or Muslim period, to have his name on the Stanley Cup. But as we have alluded to in our uh, side-eye, spicy, uh, for-the-culture ways, there is a lot of work still to be done. So that's going to wrap up our hockey headlines portion of this episode of the founding four podcast which of course is brought to you by black rosy media where we are empowering black women and melanated creators like myself like angelica in sports media and uh if you want to support this podcast and all of the work that we're doing we're going to have some creators hopefully uh covering the WNBA all-star weekend coming up check us out on patreon yes you can join the patreon posse as i like to say and uh we'll have some of our definitely have some outtakes from this show (laughs) up soon (laughs) including why i couldn't stop turning over 
to my right. Um, and so uh, you can find that over on Patreon. Thank you for all of those who have been ride or dies. I mean, we know Maddie has been a ride or die. We know Jeff is a ride or die. You know, DF, these are just a few names to toss out there that between the two of us have been holding it down, holding us down and trying to keep us sane as we navigate these wild, wild streets of woe ho. Okay. <laughs> you know, trying, trying. trying. <laughs> we are aspiring. Uh, but let's, let's reflect. We are closing out June. And that means, of course, happy pride to all who celebrate, which, which should be all of y'all. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Let's go sway in the wind. <laughs> yes. You're serving me all the vibes right now. But yes, I'm happy pride. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> happy pride. I've got my Juneteenth shirt on. All of the things, including, bow, we've got the 50th. Yes, let's go. We got the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And there's a few things that we could talk about. But I want to talk about this. Billie Jean King, the Billie Jean King tennis champion, uh, and also, of course, someone who is known in the space for being an advocate for women, uh, for the LGBTQ community. She said something, and it got a lot of traction on social media because she is essentially talking about how now, now at, at 50 years, at 50 years, now it's time for us to focus on girls and women of color and the impacts or lack thereof that Title IX has. And, <sighs> oh, where to start with this? Okay, so here's my thing. Am I appreciative that Billie Jean King said that? Yes. Yes to the yes to the yes, yes, see, yes, yes. Okay, I am happy that she said that. And there is a part of me that's also like, Billy, baby, let's have a conversation. Because over on Black Rosie Media, we had a great conversation with Bria Felician for the Black, Ro uh, Black Rosie Media Presents podcast, where we were talking about remembering Title IX through the eyes of Wyoming Tyus. And Wyoming Tyus co-founded the Women's Sports Foundation with Billie Jean King and to empower women in sport, very much in the vein of what Title IX does. If you're gonna call yourself a goat, or if you wanna call somebody a goat, and then you don't hold them to account, they ain't a goat. They are not a goat, or at least not for folks that look like me. Not for folks that look like me either. I mean, I think that it goes without, Actually, no, it doesn't go without saying, because I think a lot of people kind of lose it in the uh, grand scheme. You know, we talk about Title IX every year as being about uh, inclusion in women's sports and expansion of women's sports. It didn't initially, it wasn't initially formulated that way. Um, Correct. It was created as kind of an add-on to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Obviously, it was reintroduced in 1972, but it was never really designed to really address racial discrimination in, Come on, somebody. in the sense that the Civil Rights Act was. Um, at least, you know, not in how it intersects with sex and gender. And as a result of that, um, that's why 50 years from now, we're finally saying, oh, wait, yeah, what about Black women? Uh, what about women of color? 
historically, outside of track and basketball, black female athletes are underrepresented, according to an article by 538. Uh, mm-hmm. In 2020-2021, outside of track and basketball, black female athletes only represented about 7.8% of female athletes in total. Um, and not only that, but, you know, I don't think we talk enough about how Title IX really is designed to let down uh, girls and women of color um, just by virtue of the way the funding works, the way federal funding works, the way state funding works. Um, um, You know, we don't talk enough about how it has turned from something that's supposed to include all women or include women and, you know, be kind of a, a leveling playing field into something that you know, doesn't even level the playing field in terms of female athletes. Um, you know, uh, Ms. Magazine article from July of 2020 said 42% of schools in the U.S. are extremely segregated. They're either 90% white or 90% students of color. And the way Title IX funding works, it disproportionately benefits those Correct. 90% white schools. When you look at Title IX compliance as it looks today, they are, they being schools, colleges, universities, we're talking obviously in the United States, uh, they are rewarded when they uh, grow their women's sports programs by uh, growing uh, or adding growth sports. What are growth sports? And that goes exactly back to what you're just talking about. Growth sports like field hockey or lacrosse or ice hockey or soccer circa 10, 15 years ago. And to the point and to that statistic that you just read, we know that these sports are very segregated. You either have, as you mentioned, 90% women of color and girls of color, or it's 90% white. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it wasn't designed to be equal and that's why it isn't equal. And, you know, even way back when, you know, when we were celebrating the 25th anniversary of it, um, you know, a leader within the women's sports foundation simply said, these are two separate issues. They're not two separate issues. And again, that's just this women. We're not even talking about the way in which trans athletes have been excluded um, when we were talking about how the Trump administration narrowed the scope of Title IX to exclude trans athletes, you know, President Biden's administration is apparently supposedly re-expanding that scope, but they still aren't talking about what rights trans athletes do have under Title IX. And as a result, we are seeing more and more states using this as a weapon to ban trans female athletes from these sports under the guise of protecting women's sports. And I'm sorry, if you wanted to protect women's sports, you would be putting the funding into that. You would not be looking for every single fucking excuse to gut funding. You know, if you cared about women's sports, UND women's hockey would still fucking be here. RMU's women's hockey program would not have been in danger of getting cut. There are so many things that I can go on. We would not have had to have USA Hockey and USA Soccer being pushed to provide equal pay for their female athletes as opposed to their male parts who are not nearly as successful. So don't tell me it's about protecting women's sports when you don't give a damn about it 99.999% of the fucking time. You know? 
Let's go. Number one, you know, we need a spelling out of the rights afforded to trans athletes under Title IX. We need to make it impossible for these states to fight us on this. You know, I don't think it, I think it goes without saying we are very, very into, you know, making sure that trans athletes have this platform and have as many rights as their cis counterparts. You know, as a cis woman, I'm all for it. You know, I don't think I need to say trans women are women, trans men are men, trans people are people, and they deserve as much of an opportunity as I do to play the sport that they love. And I'm sorry that what our government is doing, what Title IX is formulated to do right now, not enough. It's not enough. Not even close. And I love that you mentioned also that that's by design. What I'm saying is that there is uh, a a lack of scope. I've been angry for like the better part of a week. I've just had this like queer brown female rage boiling in me since like, I, I I can't even remember the last time I felt like even remotely okay. And it's just like, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I, I think that we need to literally burn shit down in order. Great podcast, burn it all down. <laughs> yeah, that is, you know, those are my girls over there. I love them. And you should listen to that podcast if you haven't already. Although I'm pretty sure if you're listening to us, you're listening to them. Um, so <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just harkens back to, you know, there's just so much that's stacked up against um, marginalized groups, and there's so much that still needs to be done. We can talk about Title IX. We can talk about the strides taken to investigate wrongdoing and investigate, you know, misconduct. And we can, you know, applaud bare minimum. But at the end of the day, bare, bare minimum is just what that is. The bar is in hell at this point. Like <laughs> uh, the devil is tripping over it down there. Con permiso, with your permission, I want to insert Samuel L. Jackson into this conversation. He tweeted on June 24th, 2022 at 11.19 p.m. I'm assuming that's central time since that's where I am right now. Uh, Quote, how's Uncle Clarence feeling about overturning loving V. Virginia? Oh, that part. Yep. And if you don't know what we're pretty sure. Yep. And if you don't know what we're talking about, look it up. We are going to move on to our next segment. And we promise this is a hockey podcast. So we're going to talk about some hockey. Let's talk about uh, the PHF offseason. Free agency. Well, it's always free agency because until this season, no player has ever signed a multi-year contract. We did have that in the CWHL. I guess it was kind of like... um, Everyone had a two-year contract? I don't know. Question mark? I don't know. Very, who knows, right? Girl, asking about any transparency with any of these leagues is like asking a dog to, like, bark the alphabet. (laughs) So, uh, who, here's the question on the PHF offseason. Who do you think has won free agency? Have any of them won free agency? Let's be real. Because um, I've got a lot of bones to pick when it comes to surprise. I've got bones to pick what? when it comes to 
the way uh, certain teams have been um, announcing these deals or more so not announcing these deals. Um, let's talk a little bit about how this free agency has played out in general. Since May 1st, we have had five of the six teams announce deals. Um, some have announced a handful. Some, like the Buttes, are pretty well set. I think they've only, they're more than halfway done. Um, some have elected, like the Boston Pride, to keep their signings close to the chest until all of them are finalized. Um, I don't have a problem with this. I really do. Um, more so... Up until very recently, we did have a handful of athletes come forward and disclose those contracts. And uh, that information has since disappeared from the internet. And we have a very decent amount of information as to why. Um, it's not good. <laughs> um, I think Alex Azzi had tweeted a little bit about it uh, involving non-disclosure agreements and clauses and contracts that prevent athletes from coming forward and disclosing their salaries. Um, so I think in terms of who's won free agency, nobody. Nobody wins when you are silencing your athletes. And that's the government. Yeah, I think, so I love that you brought that up, and I know that I saw you tweeting about that, and it seems like you have something forthcoming over at the Ice Garden. So I guess on our next episode we'll have to talk about that but um what I will add if I may to what you said and to elaborate it is that there was a time where athletes were disclosing those salaries or at least had the option to disclose I remember very specifically Madison Packer being one of those athletes it seems that was about two seasons ago and somewhere between Anya now Packer formerly Bottolino Bottolino excuse me um being the uh, at the time NWHL Players Association Executive Director, that has gone by the wayside. And I think there was a correlation, as my memory serves, between some of that, um, as you mentioned, maybe that being in the contract that there is an NDA and they cannot share the, the details of their contract, which of course includes the salary not only salary, but definitely salary. Um, that happened, uh, I think, right around the transition between season six and season seven, and it seems like it has continued. What I will say is because our amazing uh, stats man, <laughs> our stats man, and, and you know, we are big Mike Murphy fans here. He is a co founder of this here podcast, and so, yes, you will see him. Uh, if uh, no, Mike, this is not, we're not asking, we're telling you, you're gonna have to come on the show with us. But, um, he's a co founder, original co founder alongside me of the Founding Four podcast, so we will always respect the stats man in this house. Um, he had come forward with a public sheet, uh, documenting a lot of the, uh, salaries that were disclosed. Um, fortunately, as of right now, that information has no longer become public. Um, and I think that, again, that's been very obvious as to, you know, the Twitter sphere has made that clear. Um... You know, obviously, we're not at liberty to discuss a whole lot of that. 
you know, a lot of it is speculation at this point. A lot of it is information that has not yet come to light. Um, but I am very much under the impression that the league, for whatever reason, does not want these salaries disclosed. And again, it is not, it's not okay. Because, you know, when they announced that they were doubling the salary cap months ago, what, January, February, I think right before the All-Star game, I think is when it was, um, some sometime around then, when they announced all of these plans to expand and to double the salary cap, um, you know, we all were excited about that. We all got really, really hopeful that that would now mean that players were able to make a living playing hockey. Not everybody, but quite a few players. Right. Um, quite a few of the bigger names. And... Not only that, but we were hoping that, you know, with that would come negotiation, with that would come player representation, with that would um, a lot more freedom for these players to fight for what they're worth. All things being equal, I think we have enough reason to suggest that with the um, salary cap being what it is, $750,000, and the number of roster spots, um, in order to, you know, maintain a full roster, I believe, don't quote me, um, but I believe we're looking somewhere in the realm of about thirteen five, thirteen thousand five. Uh, per, per player. All things being equal. Obviously, all things are not equal. So you will have players probably making that much. You will probably have players making closer to the high end of what uh, Michaela Grant-Mentis is supposedly making. Um, you will have players like um, Amanda Levier somewhere in the middle, uh, Cass McPherson somewhere in the middle, or toward the lower end, you know, 40, 50, depending on where you're at. That could be a livable mm -hmm. wage. That could not be. So depending on the market, depending on what your family situation is. And we heard that um, it was actually, I believe, Madison Packer again that said that some of her teammates and, and I believe, uh, you know, some of her teammates with the Riveters and Metropolitan Riveters had that as their single job. And speaking of Madison Packer, I mean, that leads to our next conversation. So as we see the influx of money, what we're not seeing is. Um, comparative to like the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League, they're in their 10th season and they have 21 founding members of this league, some that have even played in leagues prior to that one that have made it 10 seasons. As of right now, Angelica, we have, oh, let me go over first the signings. First, let's do the signings by team. So the Buffalo Buttes, and this is not even up the most up-to-date because we did get a Minnesota signing, Amanda Levier, was officially announced today. So 15 signings for the Buffalo Buttes, 12 for the um, Connecticut Whale. We have 10 for the Riveters, I guess nine now for the Minnesota Whitecaps, nine for the Toronto Six, and there are six teams, not the original six, but there are six teams, only five teams have announced, we talked about this in passing, but allegedly, supposedly, just like they did last year, uh, in national team style, the Boston Pride is going to announce their entire roster at the same time. For why? Por qué? Who said? Like, let it go, fam. Let us know. Like, who, 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 uh, like, no. And then also, like, if you're going to do all of that, 
then at least make it a big deal. Like y'all are all like, oh, by the way, here's our roster. Like that's how it went last last season. It's like y'all don't even make, make an event. I'm talking like VIP, sell tickets. I want a freaking, you know, uh, red carpet, like all the fits. Well, like if you want to do it. Give that revenue, it. give that ticket revenue to the players. <laughs> That part, that's what I'm saying. Like, come on. Here's a free adv- Here's a free idea for you. If that's what you want to do, then make sure that you're making money off of that. Because right now, you're looking hella foolish because no one's talking about the Boston Pride because there's nobody to talk about. Exactly. And that's that's the shit that, like, irks me. It's like, I don't know how an entire <laughs> team gets away with that. Like... If, if all Dumb. the other five teams are announcing it, the pride should be made to announce. Even if you don't want to disclose the salaries, which again is a major problem. And yes, I will have a column on that later to come, probably sometime next week on TIG. Um, I do also have a poll about whether or not players should be allowed to disclose, or at least have the option to disclose. Which yes. uh, I'm assuming yep. more than a few. Um, PHF players have voted in. Obviously, the voting is anonymous. I'm assuming multiple have. Um, you know, obviously, there are players that want this. Obviously, there are players that do want to be more transparent. Even before uh, free agency started, we were seeing players asking for transparency with salaries. Um, whether they're low or not, I don't think anybody's under any major... Um, assumption here that these players are going to be making bank out the gate. We already know that the PHF is not in a position to do that. We are not under any major delusion here that these are going to be multi-thousand, like multi-million dollar salaries. Obviously not. The salary cap doesn't even go that high. So why not just be transparent about what you're giving your athletes if you're so proud of it and you're so proud to use them as fodder for you being oh look at how progressive we are look at how much we're doing for our players but you're not even fucking letting them talk about their own salaries when every other major sports league talks about it come for on better or for worse. that part for better no, and and i will and what i will add is we're talking about the phf right now but your girl right here, me, asked the PWHPA when they did, they had, so they had their two separate kind of barnstorming seasons, one in the United States, one in North America, and the, or excuse me, one in Canada, what? One in the United States, one in Canada. The one in Canada had a lot more fanfare because they had a lot more media engagement. They had Secret Canada involved. And so I asked, I asked uh, Jana Hefford and I asked the um, someone, a representative from Secret, ironically, or not. Um, uh, so th- what are the, because they were getting, they were giving us a, st- a, a stipend and also provided bonuses depending on some kind of points structure that they were doing. And when we asked what the salaries were or what these bonuses and incentives were, genepa, nothing, no words, no words. So, and I thought it was really interesting though, because listen, like on this podcast, I'm going to just call it like I see it. Sometimes I keep my mouth shut or my, my Twitter fingers away. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it here. 
It was really interesting, even former players of the PHF now, as it's known, being like, oh, absolutely, things need to be transparent. PWHPA players saying, oh, what do you mean the salaries ain't like baka baka ba? And I was like, um, excuse me, is this thing on? Um, hello? Um, but uh, when you had your last roundabout of women's hockey, uh, you were asked about the salaries and did not disclose. And then it was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. So it goes both ways, homie. What we're not going to do is, listen, we are going to keep it real, if players won't, that there is a rift. Some people have bad blood, Taylor Swift style, when it comes to how things went down. And I don't even blame them. I'm not even mad. Because some of y'all out here in the, in, the, in the WoHo space have every right to be upset. Y'all have been done dirty at every level. And we talked about it at the top of the show. Look at what's happening with Hockey Canada right now. And not to mention that it's very likely that people that have been, uh, again, uh, the harm has been perpetuated against them and towards them. They now are not going to have hockey opportunities because Hockey Canada cannot get their ish together. So listen, I get it. There's bad blood. There's beef. But let's not like act like it's one is worse than the other or even better than the other. Everybody in women's hockey has got to figure it out for the sake of the athletes. And sometimes we talk about the athletes too, if we want to keep Absolutely. Uh, it's not about PHF versus PWHPA. It's not about which league is better. It's not about which league needs to have more transparency because all the way around, there is no fucking transparency. There is no actual accountability for where the money is going, how the money is being used, and who is actually getting it. But another thing that I want to talk about is, and you mentioned this, like players having to hold down this sport on their back. And as of right now, going into season eight, there's only one OG that is signed, and that is Madison Packer. We've mentioned Mad Pack a few times on this show. And there were only six, five, six of them going into last season. We had Kira Dostal Arena came back after having her beautiful baby girl. We had Shannon uh, Turner, uh, Shannon Doyle Turner come back. We had Elena Orlando who switched teams but was with Buffalo and uh, an OG. And um, I'm trying to think who else was an OG from last season? Uh, that's four. It was Packer, Dostal, Lando, and Turner. We had six the season before. We had six in season six. And so we're seeing, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, you had 21 founding pioneering players that are in season 10 for the NWSL. And as of right now, only one signed for season eight in the end, or excuse me, now the PHF. Do you think of the three that played in addition to Packer last season, Hello, Founding Four Pod fans. This is your co-host, Erica L. Ayala. I want to sincerely apologize for the Janine Weber erasure that has just transpired. Blame it on my head and not my heart. We, of course, have had Janine Weber on the Founding Four Pod, including the last time that she scarfed down a snack. It was a shake right before her last interview with us. So Janine, we hope you're enjoying a burger or a shake or a good snack in your off season. And we recognize you as an OG of the league. Oh, I'm sorry, Fratty. That's Almost right. Almost forgot Kaylee Fratty. Fracken. Now Kelly Fracken Lee. 
That's right, Kaylee Fracken Lee. Now she does count as a founding member, obviously was a pioneer. She has played all eight seasons, but not in their entirety. So that's a little asterisk because there was a minute where that's actually how she ended up in Boston is that she took some time away and then ended up coming back late in the season. So my bad, Freddie, don't Sorry, come for me. Freddy. Don't come for me. <laughs> you know, it's love. You know, it's love. Congratulations yeah. to you uh, on the, the wedding. Uh, it was great to see those, those yeah, pictures, but um, again, Boston hasn't released their roster. So all we know is that Freddy is putting out a poll saying, should it be Fratkin or Lee on the back of the Jersey? So if you want to use your Twitter sleuthing skills, I'm assuming that Freddy Lee will join Packer as a, an OG in the league. But are we realistically going to see any of the OGs come back. You know, I want to say yes. I really don't think so. I think that Turner kind of made it clear, regardless of the outcome of this past season, she was done. Um, which yeah. um, is a shame. <laughs> uh, yeah. If, if my heart broke for anybody at the <sighs> final, it was Shannon Noel Turner because that is just a consummate professional, a consummate leader, and just such a wonderful example of somebody excelling at her sport. And for her to retire without a cup is just heartbreaking. Um, but, you oh. know, if she's in a good... But if she's in a good place with it, I, I completely understand. Um, Elena Orlando, I, I really don't know. I didn't get a whole lot from her um, after... Came out of retirement yeah, to go to same Buffalo. Same with Turner. I mean, Turner also came out of retirement to come back to Connecticut. So I think that in, in those cases, I, I don't know that I see either coming back, to be honest with you. It's a shame. Um, but I do think that I, I do think it's just Ooh, their I, I really do. And it's a shame. I think I do think Freddie has a couple more seasons in her. I would not be surprised to see her come back. Um, you know, obviously being a married woman, we'll see. But um, I, I really don't know. All this time, I thought Rebecca Morse was a founding player. She might as well have been. Yeah, I mean, she yeah. might as well have been. She's an honorary. She got years. She got years, though. She got them years, She's though. She's an honorary founder. <laughs> Um, and she was at youth camp, um, and uh, she does definitely want to play. Uh, that that I know for a fact. So I can definitely see She's her gotta, coming. Always had to fight for her spot, man. Moose, man, always fighting. I, I love that. Her. We'll see. I think you're right. I think what we're seeing is it is. Uh, an era coming to the close. And like I said, it's been amazing to now be a broadcaster for the NWSL and see that there are 21 players that have stood the, the, the test of time. The NWSL went through some bangs last season in the vein of what we talked about with Hockey Canada earlier in the show. And to see the perseverance, it's, it's really amazing. I would have loved to see more players, but unfortunately there's been a lot of flux and, and we've seen this in women's sports. Again, this is the third, or maybe I didn't say it earlier, but this is the third 
um, rendition of professional women's soccer that we're seeing right now reach its 10th season. The fact that the NWSL or excuse me, NWHL turned PHF is going into season eight. It really does say a lot. Um, and of course the WNBA is in 26 seasons and is still trying to work through things like travel and not having players, you know, be in coach or, you know, fight over a one through 15 on Southwest as one of them. Did. Like, I'm just like, that oh gosh, it's funny. Thing was so <laughs> goddamn aggravating. I'm like, these are professional athletes and you're going to get mad about them chartering a flight. Get the fuck out of here. It's messy. It's messy. And like in the name of uh, equity and uh, fairness, it's like, well, in the name of fairness, like having someone who's six to and above in a middle seat, you should be embarrassed. But anyway, we digress. We'll have plenty of time to talk through that, but we are definitely going to keep our eye on at the founding four pod, the founding members of the, again, NWHL turned PHF. But we're going to close out every episode of this newly revamped Founding Four pod with our For the Culture segment. And uh, this is going to be the happenings among melanated and culturally rich hockey homies. And we got some big ones on the docket for today's show, Angelica. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Obviously, um... We have the induction of Herb Carnegie into the Hockey Hall of Fame as a builder, which is, I mean, let's let's be real. I mean, it was a long, long, long time coming. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And so Herb Carnegie, for those who may not be uh, familiar, they're similarly to what we have as far as the Negro Baseball Leagues, which finally Major League Baseball has um, is, is including those records in Hall of Fame, you know, inductions and, and the like. But anyway, there were black or at the time called Negro Hockey Leagues, Herb Carnegie, a part of one of those leagues and is part of one of the first uh, or the first all black Hockey line, which we have never seen in the National Hockey League in 100 plus years. Um, but it was him and his brother. And um, I'm forgetting, unfortunately, that's on me, the, the third player on that line. But um, Herb Carnegie also was the first black player to be offered an NHL contract. The New York Rangers went to him once, twice, thrice. And the reason that Herm Carnegie turned them down is because he was making more in, in the Canadian league he was playing in at the time, already had a family and didn't think that it was the best move for him to go on a maybe coulda, woulda, shoulda, maybe it will happen for me type contract and get paid less to play hockey, even if it was at the MNHL level, the highest MNHL level. And so Herb Carnegie, uh, you know, there's a lot of I don't want to say controversy, but let's say opinions on whether he should have taken that contract or not. I'm here. This is the For the Culture segment, and we're here talking about know your worth. And so Herb Carnegie is an OG of know your worth. And he was like, I'm sorry. Sit your behind down, New York Rangers. Pay me what I'm worth or I ain't doing it because I got a family to raise, including his daughter who he raised, who is now part 
of the ownership group of the Toronto Six, an ownership group that is diverse, and I love that. And so Bernice Carnegie, also a co-founder of the Carnegie Initiative, is more than likely in November going to be representing her family and her father at the Hockey Hall of Fame. The first time I went to the Hockey Hall of Fame, it was when Willie O'Ree and PWHPA uh, president, advisor, I'm, I'm sorry, I honestly don't know what the title is, but Jaina Hefford, who's associated with the PWHPA, they were inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame together. There was also someone else who was inducted who is actively still holding his job, and we have to, as players, wait until we are uh, retired. And then even when you're retired, if you're a woman, you only have two spots that you can give. And then even when you have two spots as a woman, they don't even give all two spots every year. Anyway, I continue, I digress. Carolina but Bernice Carnegie is going to be <laughs> Bernice Car Carolyn Willett what 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 uh, Bernice Carnegie will be representing uh I'm I'm very confident that that she will be present I'm so excited for her I was able to meet her at the Willie O'Ree induction ceremony and I'm so excited for the family but speaking of the Toronto Six uh so Mark Jocelyn and Angela James, first ever black woman in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and also the only uh, woman who was a part of the the, the duo of women uh, that were inducted together. Of course, that was Cami Granado and um, and Angela James at the same time, the first ever time and never again since. But anyway, I digress. We'll get mad about that on the next episode of Founding Four Podcast. Um, but we have Angela James, who um, is now the general manager of the Toronto Six. She was a, a bench boss along with Mark, Mark Jocelyn, but she gets another honor. Angela James, newly appointed officer of the hashtag Order of Canada, known as one of the first superstars of women's hockey. She is recognized for advancing women's sport in Canada. Angela, Diane James, Order of Canada, congratulations, felicidades. Guys, we love to see it. Honestly, I mean, when she was first announced as being an assistant coach of the six, I was so unbelievably thrilled because, I mean, she's a legend. I mean, she, you know, had... She, she had an award in CBHL named for her. You know, she is a huge, huge name in women's hockey history. Um, to have somebody of her caliber associated with the PHF is huge. And to see her get her, her flowers, so to speak, is, um, you know, I can't think of anybody more deserving at this point. Um, so, I mean, congrats to her. And she's holding it down. Yes. Wait, wait for it. <laughs> we got sound effects. We're fancy. We're fancy. And on that, congratulations. Yeah, are we fancy? Are we fancy? Uh, not only congratulations to Angela James, but congratulations to you, Angelica. First episode as co-host of the Founding Ford Pod in the books. <laughs> Excellent. Let's go. So again, this is the Founding Four podcast co-hosted by Angelica Rodriguez and myself, Erica El Ayala. We are two dos Latinas with spicy 
Hockey Takes. This has been the Founding Four podcast presented to you by Black Rosie Media, which is empowering black women and melanated creators in sports media. Now, we are eventually going to be on a weekly schedule, but it's still the off season, so we'll get to you after the holiday that shall not be named. Um, But anyway, (laughs) we'll get back to you in July. Thank you for listening to the Founding Four pod.